0: Today's Woman of Impact's ticket to life was far from an admission into Disneyland, but instead, a first-class ticket to the funhouse. She found herself going from the merry-go-round of abuse to the mirrors of self-distortion to the rooms of warped perspectives, and the exit sign was nowhere in sight. From bullying to panic attacks to anxiety to domestic violence, this woman was spinning faster than the teacup ride. But instead of allowing it to break her, She used it as a tool, and as a result, earned her resilience from her adversity, and learned her courage from her fears. Now creator of Primal Yoga, she leads trauma-informed yoga retreats and workshops all around the world, teaching other trauma survivors how to reclaim themselves through movement. Quickly understanding, though, that the body is just one part of the equation, she went on to author the incredibly empowering book, The Courage to Rise a tool guide, if you will, on how we can use movement, mindfulness and healing foods to triumph over trauma. So please help me in welcoming a certified domestic violence advocate counsellor, a martial artist, a mum, an author, a teacher and the host of the upcoming podcast Falling Up. The woman that is showing the world what it takes to rise, the courageous Liz Arch.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for that introduction. Welcome to the show. Of
0: course. My pleasure, (laughs) my dear. Um, I want to start. The way you've structured your book is so incredible. And so I actually wanted to structure this episode like you did your book. Perfect. Um, So you've got four parts to it. Yeah. The first part is discussing what trauma is. Yeah. Um, and the back the story of how we all have developed trauma in some way, shape yes. or form. And then breaking it down into three parts, the body, the mind and the gut. Yeah. Um, so let's start with trauma. Yes. Talk to me about trauma. In fact, I actually have a quote from you that I want to start with. So you said, trauma began shaping me in early age, slowly grooming me into a person I didn't like or recognize. My trauma was a masterful shapeshifter that cloaked itself into many disguises, a devastating natural disaster when I was five years old, bullying when I was a teenager, and and domestic violence when I was an adult. I thought that post-traumatic stress only came with war, and since I had no combat experience to my name, I declared myself the enemy. Yeah.
1: (sighs) Yes. So I didn't even have a context or a framework for what trauma was. I didn't know that I had experienced trauma. Uh, So I was experiencing all these different symptoms like debilitating anxiety. I was later diagnosed with panic disorder and agoraphobia where I, I felt afraid to even leave my house, to go to the grocery store, um, to get on an airplane. Mm -hmm. So it's just my world dramatically started to shrink. I would have rage responses, hypervigilance, um, and all of this I would have since I was a little girl. And I just had no context of what I was experiencing until I understood. I started to, I picked up a book by Bessel van der Kolk called The Body Keeps the Score. And it's all about trauma. And basically one of the premises is, and the premise of my book is that everyone experiences trauma in some degree to varying degrees, and it can shape our lives in very insidious ways. And so just that piece of understanding that we've been through trauma can be deeply, deeply healing. And that was really the first part of my healing was understanding that I had been through trauma. And so I started researching also trauma-informed yoga. And then when I started learning about trauma-informed yoga, even though I'd been a yoga teacher for years but I didn't even know what trauma-informed yoga was. Um, Then I started, you know, encountering and learning about and reading all of these really amazing pioneers that are in the trauma field and looking at trauma and how it impacts our bodies.
0: How do we identify the trauma in the first place? So for you, it was the book, you were doing yoga, but let's say someone doesn't have that frame of reference or knows yoga or um, what are a few things that you would um, say to them to identify that they have trauma that they haven't dealt with yeah and then second of all how do we start to unravel it when it's so sometimes deep seated yes. into
1: who we believe we are today yeah Well, first, I say that trauma is not necessarily an event itself, but it's how our nervous system organizes around an Mm. event. So there's kind of a big misconception that trauma has to be these really big Mm. catastrophic events. So something like a natural disaster, a plane crash, um, war, or a sexual assault, which all, of course, are incredibly traumatic. But trauma can also be smaller, less obvious things. So it can be bullying. It can be... um, really everyday life events that happen to almost all of us, that happen to all of mm. us. So divorce, uh, death of a loved one, mm. death of a parent, a family member, a friend, even a pet can be really traumatic, can register as traumatic in your nervous system. Um, hospitalizations, any kind of illness. And so it's just understanding that it's not the event itself, but it's how our nervous system organizes around mm-hmm. it. And then there's different re- risk and resiliency factors. So someone can experience the exact same traumatic event as someone else, but they'll mm-hmm. respond differently. And so that depends on things like how old you are. So for me, one of my first traumas was the flood. And when I was five years old, it was New Year's Eve. We, My parents woke us up really frantic and just said, we have to get out of the house now. Okay. And floodwaters were rising when we walked out of the room. There was water you know, up to our knees and then it was rapidly rising. My dad had to put me on his shoulders, carry me out of the house, wading through water, put me on the roof of our car. And then we had to be rescued by a boat. But my sister was three years older, and so she had, in a nervous system level, and a brain development level, she was a little more developed uh, than I was. And so it impacted her differently than it impacted me. Mm. For me, it started creating this sense of chronic unsafety and unpredictability of, like, nothing in my environment is safe, and this could happen again at any time. So... Things like how old you are, what kind of support system you have. So even if you're not a child, but your trauma happens when you're an adult, are you isolated? Or do you have a big community of support around you can kind of be the gauge of how deep your symptoms will end mm. up being. And there's always a natural period of when we've been through something traumatic. Of these are, It's natural for anxiety to occur, for fear. Um, but then if those symptoms start to last longer, then three months and you're feeling that it's just you can't shake it and we go through that kind of negative feedback Mm -hmm. loop of thoughts and we can't get out of it then it's time to really start looking at how can I do some trauma resolution and healing so let's take then the flood
0: for instance because that's fascinating especially because you were so young yeah So, how did you identify Mm -hmm. that that was one thing that actually had affected you? And then what tips can people take from that to do it themselves? Yeah.
1: So it wasn't until years, years later, until I was an adult, that I really realized the impact that the flood had on me. I would always have nightmares about floods. And I mean, that just made sense to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I kept having them for years and years and years into my 20s, into my 30s. And then I was having all of these symptoms like hypervigilance where I was constantly on high alert. I was always scanning my environment for danger. So even the slightest noise would jolt me out of sleep at night. I would sleep with a hammer under my bed because I just felt so unsafe. Um, and so that was one of the main traumas, but there was secondary traumatic stress on the periphery of my family tree. Mm. So I was exposed to not within my immediate family. My mom and dad were wonderful, but all around me on, on the periphery of my family tree was, you know, domestic violence, was molestation, was addiction issues. Uh, and so as a child, you, you're not consciously aware of it, but unconsciously you're picking up on a lot of those cues. Um, But it wasn't until I was working with a trauma therapist that had me kind of go back and list out. She said, write out all the things in your life that had an impact on you. Um, And so I started listing everything out. And I started finding that every New Year's Eve, something would happen. And for me, the flood Mm -hmm. happened on New Year's Eve. And then I was, when I was in a domestic violence situation, I was, you know, ended up in jail on New Year's Eve. Um, I would have fights with whoever the partner I was with each New Year's Eve. I would end up like recreating some kind of trauma uh, because my body was just wired for trauma. And Bessel van der Kolk actually talks about this in his book about reenactment and trauma reenactment and how literally to the day we can unconsciously reenact trauma. Why do you think we do that? It's, it's so fascinating because, again, it's on a neurobiological level. Yeah. So um, he shared that there was a, a war veteran who had kind of a, a nervous tick and would kind of look, you know, always look over to the side. They thought it was Tourette syndrome. Mm. Um, but when he started kind of unwinding and going deeper, it was the, the motion of when he would throw grenades. And so it would be this kind of grenade Whoa. throwing. Um, And so there's just things that our body stores, Mm -hmm. our body really stores.
0: Wow. So you were reenacting it every new year, not really consciously realizing that you were doing it until you had to unpack
1: everything. Yes. Yeah. So again, it was just on a nervous system level because what happens when we've been through trauma is our higher thinking brain, our neocortex essentially goes offline. So we're living from our primal fight or flight brain. Mm -hmm. So we have our reptilian brain and then our mammalian brain and then our neocortex, which forms last. And when we're under traumatic stress, that higher brain just kind of flips its lid. Um, and we, we can't process rational thought, mm-hmm. so it doesn't live on that rational level. It lives on the deepest, deepest level. And do you find that
0: understanding it from that type of like, you know, scientific level allows
1: you to like kind of get through it? Yeah, for me, it was huge. Just having that piece of awareness Mm -hmm. of this is because it's beyond your conscious control. But once you understand that it's beyond your conscious control, then you can start consciously controlling it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Because you have to have that awareness. If the awareness is not there, then the healing can't really begin okay so that, that was makes huge sense. for me so okay
0: you'd been in um, an abusive relationship yeah. you've broken out of it you spent years working in yourself yeah and then you found yourself back in that right, same situation yeah. so talk to me about that because I think that that's what a lot of people fear just in general when you're making a change when yeah. you're coming over overcoming something yeah you so fear going backwards yes, and that can really be detrimental, I think, to any then future progress. So talk to me about that evolution and then how you found yourself backing that and how you
1: got out of it. Yeah. So it's kind of like that idea of hitting rock bottom and once you hit rock bottom, you're like, okay, this is it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I thought I had hit. And then <laughs> just a few years later, I was right back there and my bottom had bottomed out even further. Uh, so what I always like to, t- to say to people that I work with is healing's not linear. And part of the biggest obstacle to healing is shame. And so when we feel like we've taken you know, one step forward and then two steps back or 10 steps back that can feel really, really detrimental, Mm -hmm. really harmful. And it can just create this cloud of shame and shame. What it does is it shuts us down. It shuts us up. It collapses us into a freeze response into kind of wanting to shut off and hide from the world. And that's where I went. Um, And so it's just understanding that because trauma reenacts itself. And that's essentially what was happening because mm. I had, a f- I understood what oh, domestic violence yeah. was, but I didn't understand it within the context of trauma. So I didn't understand that unconsciously I was seeking out the same type of person who had harmed me. What felt safe to me in my nervous system was actually very unsafe situations mm. because that's what I was used to. So I was going back to these dangerous situations, these toxic relationships without really knowing that that's what I was doing so just having the awareness of this is what's happening enabled me to start to break that cycle yeah
0: yeah god that's powerful yeah um okay so let's take it into the three sections now of the book yes a take me through what made you break into these
1: three components yeah and then let's start from the body yes So it really is just a guide for healing unresolved manifestations of trauma. So I really wanted to look at where does it live? And it starts for me with the body. We're a fully integrated whole. So looking at the body and then looking at bringing our neocortex, bringing our higher thinking brain back online, starting to integrate the two. And then the last piece of my healing was the gut. And there was no kind of trauma resources out there that I had read Mm. um, that addressed how the foods that we could be eating could be exacerbating some of the symptoms Mm -hmm. that I was feeling like anxiety, like panic, like depression, and how the foods we're eating can be our greatest medicine. So I hadn't seen that in the context of trauma before, and that was my own healing journey. And so that's just what I outlined. And it's, it's just one healing path. So For me, the book is take what works for you and some of these things are going to really, really work for you as an individual and some things you might say I'm going to pass on that one. Um, So it's not the only path. It's one path of many paths, but it's really empowering and important for me to empower people to be their own best healer and to say this works, this doesn't.
0: I love that so much because that's what you've done to yourself is that you've taken elements of what has worked for you. How do I heal myself? Oh, it's the gut. Okay, I need to put this in. Oh, it's the mind. I need to do this. Talk to me about that because so many people just will walk blindly into a doctor's Mm -hmm. and follow their lead. And it's not that I think doctors are evil or anything like that. It's just they have a narrow um, vision of what is going on. Absolutely. But people don't understand that or get that or then take ownership over yeah. being um, the fixer. Like, I'm going to find it myself. Yeah. What made you do that in the first place? Yeah. And then how can what tips can you give other people to not follow doctors blindly and actually ask yeah. the question? Yeah, so
1: I think the most empowering thing we can do is do our own research. And it's... I always advocate for seeking support wherever you can find it, but also listen to your gut and find what intuitively feels right. So for me, I went to several different doctors. And if you go to a surgeon, a surgeon's job is to cut. So that's what they're going to tell you. So when I was had, had a hip injury, I went to a surgeon and he said, we have to cut. I went to a physical therapist. Their job is not to cut. He told me, no, we don't need to cut. We can do this, this, or that. Um, so exactly like you said, whoever you go to is going to have their very narrow scope. So I think it's really helpful to go to so many different areas and then find what works for you and find where the information overlaps, what makes sense from each, and then just really trusting your own innate wisdom. So when I was at the height of my panic disorder, I sought out a top cognitive behavioral therapist, just really highly rated. They were kind of the best of the best charged, you know, top dollar. And at that point I had not a lot of money, no savings was scraping by, you know, just paying (laughs) like living month to month. Um, and so even just to come up with the $200 that it cost to go see this CBT therapist, um, was a lot for me, Mm -hmm. but I went in with a lot of hope because I just thought this person is going to heal me. Uh, and I left with less hope than I went in with. And it was the most discouraging hour of my life because when I went in, he took away my hope and he said, okay, you have panic disorder. My goal was to get on an airplane and uh, for an upcoming trip. And he yes. said, you're not gonna be able to get on that airplane without having a panic attack. And it will take you minimum at least 10 sessions. And I left and I went into my car and I just started crying because I thought, I, I can't, first of all, I can't afford this. Second of all, who are you to tell me that I'm not going to be able to get on this airplane? Like, how do you know me in one hour? Um, And so it was radically disempowering. And so my empowerment came when I started to really understand that the answers are already within myself. I can find the support, but it has to really feel supportive. That did not feel supportive. Mm -hmm. Um, And that it was there. The tools are already there. We have them. It's just learning how to access them.
0: Yeah. Okay, so talk to me then about your first moments of realizing that yoga could actually help trauma. Yeah,
1: so what yoga does is it really grounds you in the present moment and it connects you to what's called our felt sense. So many times when we've been through trauma, it can can have a dissociative feel. So we can actually leave our bodies. And that's something that's really smart um, Mm. that our body does. It's for our own protection because when we dissociate, when we're under extreme traumatic stress, basically when we feel like our lives are in danger, um, and animals do this too in nature, they just go into this freeze response. And that floods your body with actually feel-good hormones that that numb you out Mm. so you don't feel the pain of an impending attack. Um, so, this happens a lot with sexual assault survivors. Um, they dissociate quite often. And so, but when we le- live in this chronic state of freeze, then we're not actually living because we're not feeling. So, for me, to live is really to feel, and to feel is really to heal. So, yoga gives us that ability to start to feel again in a really safe way, in a really safe way. Container where you can start to sense, okay, sensations in my body. And when you've been through something like panic disorder, which is what I experienced, um, I was really afraid of physical sensations. So if I would feel my heart rate, that would make me scared and that would trigger a panic attack. So hmm. yoga gives you this opportunity to sit with uncomfortable sensation and know that you can breathe through it. Know that all sensation does is go a little higher and then it lessens. Um, But that nothing horrible happens as Mm. a result. And we can sit, if we can sit in the discomfort, we can start to heal.
0: Yeah, Yeah.
1: I love that. How do you get people to sit in the discomfort though? Because no one wants to be uncomfortable. Exactly. (laughs) So, (laughs) how do you actually do that? Well, one of the really, it sounds really simple and almost rudimentary, but it's just employing a countdown if you're in a pose. So, um, with post traumatic stress disorder, it has kind of no, beginning middle or end so if you're in a flashback it feels like it's something that happened years ago it feels like it's happening in your body right now present time Mm -hmm. and so just counting out the length of a pose we're going to be in warrior two for five four three two one and then it's over so we start to just create a timeline and sequentially in a class creating a class arc so there's always a beginning a middle and an end because Mm -hmm. in trauma there's no beginning middle or end it just isn't ever-present now. Mm. So learning, again, that sensations have an ending. They have a beginning. They have a middle. They have an ending. Can start to, on a nervous system level, reprogram that sense yeah. of skewed time.
0: Have you ever seen them people in those moments get emotional?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's such a beautiful thing to witness and to hold space for. Um, because a lot of times what we're dealing with is really repressed emotions. Mm. And when we repress things, our body n- starts to find ways um, to to communicate that, hey, something's not right here. Mm. So that might be through chronic fatigue or muscle tension or insomnia or anxiety um, or skin issues, eczema, rashes, all of these things can be a result of really repressed emotion, whatever it is that we're shoving down and don't want to come to the surface. Mm -hmm. And so being able to kind of witness and facilitate um, a release is so powerful to witness
0: i used to think what you're saying was really woo woo yeah, i'm gonna be honest totally. I was like that doesn't <laughs> make sense like if my mind like this no. i didn't understand the mind-body connection yeah. so i was just like that's just too woo woo yeah and then i went through the health issues and i i live a very um high-paced lifestyle yeah. and so somebody was basically like you should start yoga so i had the first yoga class um one-on-one teacher and at the end i started crying wow. And still to this day, I don't actually understand why, because it only happened once. What can I do to really dig deeper? Because I really do want to, I want to do yoga every time and make me cry to then (laughs) identify like the things that I'm going through.
1: (laughs) Well, that's the beauty of it is you don't even have to dig deeper. Whatever needs to be released can be released. And that's just it. A lot of people I work with are like, am I doing this right? Or how is this supposed to unfold? And I'm like, it's not supposed to unfold in any Mm. way. It's just what unfolds is what unfolds. Whatever is Releasing is what needs to be released. And, and that's it. So, I've benefited um, personally from working with different life coaches, mm-hmm. and some different therapy um, modalities have been helpful, but some have, haven't have been helpful. Mm-hmm. Some have felt really harmful. So, sometimes talking about traumas and trying to like dig deeper and like what's actually there uh, can be re traumatizing because you're reliving mm-hmm. it, you're thinking about it, you're having to go back down yeah. this dark tunnel. Yeah. And sometimes, all that really needs to be released is on a Nervous system level through your body, through tears, through laughing, through shaking, Um, so that can be enough. Which again is not to say don't keep exploring. Right, and and and
0: where's that fine line then? Then how do you know if you're opening an old wound or you're like, oh no, you're actually identifying it?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a really really great question. I think if you leave a session Mm -hmm. um, feeling worse than when you went in, that can be an indication that maybe really? you're stirring up some things in a way that doesn't feel safe yet for your nervous system. Right. So what we try to do in yoga is to create a really safe space where you can release so whatever motion comes up, and it might be anger. Sometimes when I'm in a pose, I'm like, ugh, this is making me mad to hold this really? pose. But I feel safe enough to express that anger. I feel mm. safe enough to cry. So it's just finding those safe spaces And then really connecting to your own felt sense of, does this now feel like a release in my body? Mm. Did these tears feel helpful? Do my shoulders now, after that cry, drop a little? Or is this kind of like a tensing, creating more pain, creating more tension, creating more um, sympathetic nervous system activation um, in my body? Yeah. How do you know
0: then when you're teaching somebody if you're pushing them too far or whether they do need to push, be pushed more?
1: I really try to let it be guided by whatever mm. the person's going through. Okay. Um, so I never really like to push anyone into anything because that can also be really disempowering. Yeah. So when you've been through trauma, especially when you've been through domestic violence and it's domestic violence is all about power and control. So it's all about someone telling you, this is how you should look. This is how you should behave. This is when you can go out, when you can't go out. These are the people you can see or can't see. Um, and then if you go into yoga class, And by the way, yoga can feel disempowering, too, depending on who you're going to. Um, Mm. But it can feel very unsafe if if a teacher is pushing you into a pose or saying, you have to hold this for this amount of time. Mm. So what we do in trauma-informed classes is really give you choice. We give you choice of where you want to set your mat up in the room. Some people feel safe in a corner. Some people don't feel safe if their back is to a door or a window because Mm. they don't know who can come into that door or through that window if that's been part of their trauma. So giving them absolute control over the situation is really, really healing for people and letting them say, so I just ask questions of how does this feel in your body? Do you feel like you can stay here for three more breaths? How would that feel to you? And letting them kind of guide their own healing. Mm. Do you find out their story before you start then? Or is it like, does it unravel over time? It depends. So I never again dig for information Mm. either. Um, Because we live in this world now where like everyone is just, it can almost be overexposure. And when you're not in a grounded state to share your story, it can feel really Mm. re-traumatizing to to share it again or to speak about it over and over again. So we just really work on a nervous system level, on a body level.
0: Yeah. And how much do you find that because you've been through it yourself Mm -hmm. that you're able to use that to implement, like, tactics now for your
1: clients? I think for me it just creates empathy because Mm. every person that I work with now, I have, before I went through panic disorder and, um, all the things that I experienced, I didn't really have a lot of, of understanding or empathy for people that were going through, say something like depression, Mm. but when you've gone through it yourself, you really understand and you can just say you're not alone. And I think that can be one of the most healing things you can say to someone is you're not alone. I'm here with you and I can't do more work than you, but I will work just as hard with you that's beautiful yeah
0: um okay so let's transition to the brain now so talk to me about how you use the brain to heal um
1: with combination of the body yeah, so yoga connects brain and body, which mm-hmm. is what I love about yoga. Um, but for me, meditation and practicing mindfulness was really huge in my healing because very similar to the body, it's just learning to to be present to whatever is around you, whether it's uncomfortable, whether it's unpleasant or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's all there've been a lot of studies, so it's not just woo-woo stuff too. Um, and I was very much like this yoga is too woo-woo, this is too hippy-dippy, it's not my thing. (laughs) So what I love is the research part of it. And Mm -hmm. so there's so much research about how mindfulness actually changes our brain. And they've done MRI scans on people with just... Eight weeks of daily meditation, just 20 minutes a day, can actually start to change structures in your brain um, and elicit kind of this, what's known as the relaxation response. So it can pull us out of this fight or flight, sympathetic nervous system, um, fear response, Mm -hmm. and evoke relaxation on the deepest level. Yeah.
0: Talk to me about fear. I love your acronym for it. Well, there's two ways that you can
1: say it. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, you can say, fuck everything and run or face everything and rise. Um, And for me, I have fear all the time. And it can be really detrimental when people are like, be fearless. Mm Because fearlessness, who's fearless? There's no one that's fearless. And if you are, you're lying. (laughs) Um, So for me, it's like, feel fear, but do it anyways. And one of my other friends was sharing with me that fear is, is wetting your pants and courage is showing up to the party with wet pants you know so it's like can we feel the fear and move into it rather than run away from it
0: yeah
1: I have a sweater that actually says fear less Mm, uh, because
0: I'm the same it's like no matter how much I try not to fear things because I've tried to I've just keep failing so it's like it's not actually about eliminating it it's just reducing it and then figuring out how to handle it when it does come yeah so I actually have another quote from you about to fear ah courage is looking fear into the face and saying i'm going to step into you yes so how do you actually do that
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) this is my life my life's question my life's mission um For me, it's just, it's really, that's why the book is called The Courage to Rise because I've fallen down on my face over and over and over again. And I really truly believe that it's those missteps and it's those falls that create our resiliency. Our trauma creates our greatest resiliency. And to be able to turn our pain into our greatest power, into our purpose, um, that's what fear can teach us. Mm -hmm. And so what I've done for myself is instead of looking at fear as the enemy, I've tried to really befriend fear. And so I talk to my fear. So when I feel fear in my body, instead of shoving it down or repressing it or telling myself I'm weak because I feel it, Mm -hmm. I say, thank you for being here. Thank you for showing up for me because I know that fear actually saves our lives, right? If we're actually in a a situation where fear is a blessing to us, you know, if someone's walking behind you and like the hair on your neck starts to stand up and you just feel like something's off about the situation, it's fear that will make you run away and create safety for you, Mm -hmm. or it's fear that will help you fight back in a situation where you need it. So fear can be an ally, but it's knowing the difference when fear is holding us back or when fear is actually, you know, there to save us. Um, So just, I I talk to my fear and I say, thank you for showing up. And in moments where I really need it, I say, thank you for showing up. I need you right now. And we're going to mobilize together. And in moments where I feel like I don't need you in this moment, this is a, this is a job for my courage, not my fear. I just say, thank you fear for showing up for me. And I don't need you, though. Like, I've got this. How
0: did you get to that point? What are those first steps into really believing it? Because if I tell myself, like, thank you, fear, for showing up, how do I actually emotionally feel
1: that eventually? Yeah, so it's starting to learn how to regulate your nervous system mm. because when we're in a chronic state of stress or this fear response, um, our body feels and our brain feels fearful all the time. Even oh. if say, in safe situations, we still feel like this, there's danger here. So learning how to regulate our nervous system using by evoking the relaxation response, using tools like mindfulness, using tools like yoga or like Tai Chi or Qigong can actually help on a nervous system level um, mm. because we still respond like fight or flight response is is wired in us on a primitive level. But back in the day, if we were attacked by a tiger, th- that was the real threat. And now our body still processes the same thing if we get an email from our boss that says, you know, come <laughs> see me tr- now. And our body physiologically yeah. still responds as tiger attacks. Right. And so it's just learning how to discern between the two. And we do that again, just through starting to, to breathe, regulate our nervous system, taking really deep diaphragmatic belly breaths. So one of the tools that you can use if you're in a fear response mm-hmm. is just to... To breathe check in with your breathing because breathing starts to get shallower and moves into our upper chest when we're in a fear response when we're in fight or flight so breathing down into your lower belly into your diaphragm can be really diffusing mm. of the situation wow so in that moment tell yourself how am i breathing yeah breathe deeper yeah just check in yeah. and just ask yourself, you know, on a, on a mental level, is this a life-threatening situation? And then say, no, it's not. But my body is responding mm-hmm. as if it is. So how can I now address my body? Take some deep belly breaths. Yeah. One hand on your belly, you know one hand on your heart, even soothing touch. We can place our hand on our forehead. But it's just finding those tools that you can use anywhere you are. And the breath is one of the easiest, most powerful, most effective mm. ways to tap in. There's also acupressure points. Um, when I'm feeling anxious, there's one that you just take your fingers, three fingers down from your wrist. Mm-hmm. And then there's kind of these two bands mm-hmm. of, yeah, so you just place your thumb there and just mm. gently press. Really, And that can help also. Um, just bring your nervous system yeah. into more of a parasympathetic state.
0: That's so impressive. I love yeah. tips like that. Yeah. Um, and then just the power of belief with the yes. brain is so incredible. Yes. And I've heard you tell many stories about how... You didn't think you could do something, a pose or something yeah. like that. And then you just woke up and you're like, I'm going to do it today. And yeah. you just did it. Yeah. So talk to me about the power of belief and how people adopt that and um, why it's so powerful. Yeah.
1: I, I just, I believe that mindset is everything. It's everything. Our mind is so powerful. It can be our best friend or our worst enemy. For me, it's been my biggest enemy for most of my life, and so just finding ways to get out of that negative feedback loop of whatever the thought may be, like you're not enough, you're not good enough, you are not strong enough, um, you're worthless, all of these things that I've said to myself over and over and over, um, it's just breaking out of that feedback loop, and one of the ways I've done it is through mindfulness of just actually becoming the observer of my thoughts rather than getting caught up and identifying Mm. with my thoughts, but being able to kind of take a step back and say, oh, that's just my brain doing what it does, but that's not actually me. That's not actually my true self, my true nature. Uh, That's just the monkey mind doing its thing. So you can kind of remove yourself from the circus of it all by just taking a step back and observing.
0: Yeah. Acknowledging that it's the monkey mind makes such a difference, I think. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember who said it, but like, if you believe you can, you can. If you believe yeah. you can't, you can't. Absolutely. And I think that I try to like keep that as the through line in my entire life mm-hmm. because every time I tell myself I can't, I'm just like, well, you're never going to then. yeah, um, You've defeated yourself before you've right. begun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure for you, because you wrote this book when you were pregnant, correct? Yes. And you spent a year. So like having to, to write a book, the pressure of that from a publisher yeah. standpoint, and then being a first-time mother, how yeah. do you navigate those both together?
1: Yeah, it was really challenging actually writing the book while I was pregnant um, because on a personal level, I was going through a lot with my my partner. Um, he actually fell into a very, very deep and major depression oh. and ended up being hospitalized. And we decided, um, before all of that happened that we weren't going to be together, but we were going to lovingly raise our child, you know, co-parent, but not as a couple. Okay. And so for most of my pregnancy, I was alone, um, by myself think with a partner who was struggling with severe mental health issues. Witnessing his journey as I was writing the book just gave me even deeper insight to um, depression and Mm -hmm. creating more empathy around witnessing someone that you love and care about go through it. That created a huge shift for me um, of just greater empathy and greater understanding. And then writing this alone I would literally look in the mirror every morning and I would have moments of like profound fear and stress of like can I finish this book on time am I going to be able to pay my mortgage am I going to be able to raise a baby on my own like can I do all of this Mm. Um, and I would just look in the mirror and I would say you got this Like, I would just look at myself and I would say, you got this, Liz. Like, you can do this. And sometimes my voice would shake as I was saying it. Sometimes I would cry and I would, like, wouldn't really believe myself. But I would just keep looking in the mirror and saying, like, you can do this. Um, And it's just that belief. Like, it's literally just the mindset of I can face anything. Mm -hmm. I've been through worse before and none of it's killed me yet. So I will get through it. And then using the tools. Like, that was so... I'm so grateful for that experience, because while I was writing this book, mm. I didn't expect to be going through kind of this, this right. kind of trauma. Um, and so, at every page that I was writing, I was like, "Does this actually work? You know? Um does this shaking exercise Right now, I'm feeling really anxious as I'm writing this because I'm pregnant and this and that, and I would do the exercises and I would feel better. And I would, my nervous system would calm down and I would call, you know, talk to my literary agent and I'm like, it, it does work. <laughs> like, and I knew it worked before because it worked on me. But now it's like, it's just, it
0: works. Thank you for sharing that. because That's so powerful. And because people, I do too. I look at someone, I look at something, I'm like, oh, my God, they figured it out. Yeah. You know, like, oh, my God, she's got the courage to rise. She's already risen. She's figured it out. And hearing you say, like, no, 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 while I was writing this, (laughs) I was figuring it out. That is so
1: powerful. To me, that's way more powerful than saying you figured it all out. Yeah. And it's like it had worked in the context of what I had been through before. But it was just another opportunity of, like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> does this work in this new traumatic situation? Right. Um, and I did. And then it also changed. Different things shifted. And I was like, this is what I need in this mm-hmm. moment. And this is what works for me. Women are much better at sharing their emotions, um, typically, than men are in our culture. And so now we're able to create this space for our son where we encourage his feelings. We encourage whatever it is that he's expressing to express it. We validate him rather than, you know... Don't cry. Stop crying. Um, so that's been really powerful. That's amazing. Yeah.
0: Um, okay. So talk to me about the nutrition side of things. Um, how did you come about realizing how powerful food can be in dealing with trauma? Um, yeah. So let's start yeah.
1: So I was kind of what you would call like a junk food vegetarian slash vegan uh, and I just thought, well, I'm not eating meat, so I'm really healthy. And I had always had gut issues. I would have bloating. Um, I would have brain fog that I didn't actually realize was related to a lot of my digestive issues. I come from a really large Hawaiian family, so like healthy choices didn't really come easily to me. We were you know, grew up with a ton of processed sugar, Uh, (laughs) just all the things that don't contribute to a healthy gut is what I lived with. (laughs) Um, My dad has diabetes. And so I wasn't set up um, from the start with kind of a healthy microbiome with Mm -hmm. a healthy gut and 70 to 80% of our immunity actually lives in our gut. And what's fascinating for me is to, to, to find out through research that, 90% 90% of our brain serotonin is actually produced in our enteric nervous system or wow. our gut brain. 90%? Yeah. I had no idea. Yes. So whatever it is that we're eating can really impact not just our physical health, not just how we look and how we fit into genes and that sort of thing, but it can really drastically affect and impact our mental health. And when I started to make that connection, I realized that the foods that I was eating was greatly contributing to the symptoms that I was experiencing, mm. like brain fog, like fatigue, like anxiety. Uh, so starting to shift into foods that were more healing and anti-inflammatory for my system and eliminating those foods that were triggers for me, Mm. that was kind of the full completion. That's where I started to actually see some of the biggest changes. Really? Mm -hmm.
0: So what was your first step then? So you thought, I'm going to give this a shot. Sounds like it probably makes sense. Did you just like cut out everything and start again what did you what does it actually look like for someone at home that wants to give that shot yeah
1: yeah so it's just starting to look at kind of what could be the triggers for you for me it was looking at okay anxiety caffeine is a huge trigger for anxiety so some people can drink caffeine to no effect and it's fine Um, But for other people, if you have a history of anxiety or panic disorder, caffeine can be a huge, huge trigger. So starting to eliminate caffeine. And then there's a way to wean slowly so I don't ever recommend that you just go cold turkey because then you can have these withdrawal symptoms. And (laughs) so there's a lot there. But also, if you know that you're going to have a withdrawal symptom from something, like how healthy... Can it be for you? <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. Like, I don't have withdrawal symptoms from kale. Um, so, processed sugar mm-hmm. is huge if you're experiencing anxiety, depression. It's that kind of blood sugar roller coaster. So, eliminating sugar. And what I do now is someone asked me, like, so does this mean never eat cookies? Like, heck no. (laughs) Um, I eat cookies all the time. But it's knowing if I'm going to be in a stressful situation Mm. or if, you know, there's a period of stress in my life or an upcoming project that I'm feeling overwhelmed about, then that's when I really, really start to clean up my diet. You know, so I'm not saying eliminate all of this and eat cardboard for the rest of your life it's just saying understand your environment, understand your support system, understand when you really need the support of these healthy foods that can really help and when to take out the foods but also live your life. Right. So it's not restrictive um calorie cutting any of that. But it's just also understanding what vitamins and nutrients and minerals you might be deficient in okay. for me because I wasn't eating any meat um I was lacking B12 and a lot of these B vitamins. Um, so I started to incorporate fish oil. That was really helpful for me. And I actually started to incorporate lean amounts of meat. Mm. And that, that was really helpful for my, for my body. And then fermented foods, um, probiotic foods. So just rebuilding your gut with beneficial bacteria so there's it's all kind of laid out in the book that's what i love about your book is
0: it really is a guide and in a way it's so much information is just coming at us from every angle about what to eat what to do how to do things don't do this at night don't do this during the day eat this at this time and it can become extremely overwhelming yeah Um, and i love that you break down like specific things so like for instance coffee to anxiety like that's so powerful yeah because people may not even realize it and so people can then test it themselves yeah
1: yeah absolutely and find what works for you and if you if you're not a person that needs to cut out coffee then don't cut out your coffee yeah you know keep it
0: and so going to then the microbiome what else do you suggest people should feed that has made a difference and i get that everyone's very different yeah but let's say that you suggest is a good food to fuel yourself for clarity
1: yeah. So one food group that I really love is, as I mentioned, fermented foods. Um, fermented foods are filled with probiotics. So that's this beneficial bacteria mm-hmm. um, that helps, to, helps our gut. So things like kimchi, um, sauerkraut, uh, there's a ton of different fermented foods, kombucha, Mm -hmm. although that can be very sugary. So I tend to kind of lay off the kombucha and more go towards things like kimchi. But also you can take it in supplement form. Mm -hmm. So you can take powdered um, probiotics or capsules. So probiotics is a big thing for me. And then... For me, too, it's also incorporating a lot of leafy green vegetables, Mm -hmm. getting vitamins and minerals where you need it, taking either eating fatty fish, so omega-3s for brain health. There's a huge mountain of research about how beneficial um, healthy fats are for Mm -hmm. your brain. So healthy fats like avocados and olive oil um, are really, really wonderful for just tuning up our brain, not only physical health but also mental health. And then looking at things that might be sensitivities for you. So things like gluten can be mm-hmm. triggers for people, uh, sugar, like we talked about, caffeine. So there's a lot of things to take out. And then there's a lot of really simple things that you can add in. And then anti-inflammatory spices. One of my favorite spices, turmeric, um, which can also help people with pain, with inflammation. So mm-hmm. if you're dealing with chronic fatigue or muscle tension or... Um, you know, chronic pain, that can be really helpful. It's find what works for you. So yeah. test it out, you know, find what works for you. And what works for you is not gonna work for everyone. Yeah. And I never trust anyone that says this way is the only way. Right. Like, You're bullshit. <laughs> like-
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, so if there are three things that people could do right now to make a change in their lives yeah. on the body, the brain, and the gut, one in each category, yeah. what would you suggest is those first steps for people to yeah. take? Yeah.
1: So body, I would say just connect to your breath. That's the okay. biggest thing. Um, and it's so simple. It's so powerful. You can do it anytime, anywhere. So if you're driving, if you're in traffic, just check in. How am I breathing right now? Where does my breath live? Is it in my upper chest? Is it in my throat? Is it in my shoulders? And then see if you can bring it down into your belly. And that's it, okay. right? Like breath is, breath is movement. So a lot of times we think we have to go for a run or we have to do this. But jet breathing, that's the beginning of movement. That's movement right there. That's enough um, to start. Uh-huh. So breathe. And mindfulness is just bringing mindful presence into whatever it is you're doing. So if you're washing the dishes, it's being singularly focused on washing the dish and feeling the texture of the dish, feeling the temperature of the water, smelling the scent of the soap, um, but being fully, wholly engaged in whatever it is that you're doing in the present moment that helps to kind of pull us out of this feedback loop of either getting stuck in the past or projecting fears into the future mm-hmm. but just be here now whatever it is that you're doing oh, wow. And then for the gut um, I would just say you know start to notice when you eat something, And track it for up to two days. That's where it can get a little tricky Mm. Um, because we can have food sensitivities to something, but it can take up to 48 hours to actually show. So if we eat a pizza two days ago, we might have a headache two days later, but not connect the 2 But really just starting to understand Mm. how your body works with your own food triggers um, can be really, really helpful to start crafting a plan out of it. I love that. I'm so into
0: like biohacking right now. Yeah. And so I've got the Aura Ring. Ah. Um, and so I'm tracking my sleep, I'm Amazing. tracking my activity, yeah. I'm tracking my heart rate. Yeah. Um, and it's really helping me because you can also put notes in the section to say what you did that day. And so I'm trying to find a correlation between digestive issues and, um, how my sleep pattern is and why I wake up tired. Even sometimes when I get nine, 10 hours sleep, I wake up, I'm exhausted, but going to like really figuring that out. And I think that that's where people, um, stumble because it's a lo- it's a hard it's a lot work. work it is it's a, lot a lot of work. work yeah and to be honest if i wasn't as sick as i have been yeah. i don't know if i would put that much time yep. into it yeah but the beautiful thing is and um you, maybe you found this as well once you start making a change yeah and you start seeing the positive effects yeah then you kind of like it's encouraging to keep going and yeah. try it again yeah
1: and unfortunately that's what happens is like we wait until our body actually breaks down before we make a change uh but when that happens, it, it can lead to powerful transformation and breakthrough mm-hmm. because you're like, I can't do this anymore. What? My body literally just said no to <laughs> me. Like my body said no more, <laughs> we need to change. Um, so I like to say as much as possible, try to practice, you mm-hmm. know, preventative, mm-hmm. um, medicine for yourself, but it's hard to do. It's hard to do in, in practice. Yeah. yeah. Well, with your book, you've just made it easier for people to do. (laughs) So, where can people find the book? Where can people find you online? Sure. So, my website is lizarch.com. I'm on Instagram at lizarch. The book is available wherever books are sold online Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. All right. And the last question What do you consider your superpower? My superpower is my resiliency. Um, I really, really truly believe that our our pain creates our purpose Mm. and everything i've been through if i can use it to create meaning um, for me is then i've done enough so that's amazing guys you've
0: got to go out and check out this book it is phenomenal as you heard just now her say this is pretty much um an example of how she was able to heal herself and so go out Get this book, learn how to get courage within yourself because let me tell you, when there's a moment where you're feeling weak, you wanna know that you really can get through it. So guys, go out and get it. If you're not subscribed, click that subscribe button. And if you're not following me, follow me at Lisa Billu. And until next time, guys, go be the superhero of your own life.